Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Welcome to another hour dedicated to the notion of enlightenment, an hour for inquiry and reflection, all in an effort to understand exactly what enlightenment means and what it is to be enlightened. An hour devoted to exploring the edge of consciousness and all that is implied thereof. An hour that recognizes the nature of the subjective experience as being at least as important as the objective reality we reside within. Indeed, an hour for the open-minded, willing to examine their deepest beliefs, an hour designed to help us go further inward and perhaps challenge some of those old ideas about the world we live in and the people we have become. This is an hour where we strive to evaluate knowledge as inseparable from the total experience of reality. I'm Eldon Taylor, and this is Provocative Enlightenment. Now, every week I read a few of your letters as our way of paying respect to the importance you play in helping us to shape and improve our show. Last week, our guest was the medical intuitive Eva Hare. Eva generated quite a bit of mail. Suzanne wrote, I would like to thank you for all of the provocative enlightenment that I have received by listening to your show. I appreciate the topics, the expertise that you provide, and the respect that you show your guests and callers. Today, I had an amazing, unbelievable reading from your recent guest, Eva Hare. Your show featuring Miss Hare was the most thought-provoking for me of any guests I have listened to. Well, thank you, Suzanne, and we'll have Eva back to the show soon. Sue wrote, I love the show this week. I thought Eva Hare sounded like a nice person and a talented intuitive. I love the writings of Carolyn Mace, so I was interested to hear about Eva's connection to Norman Sheely. Also, the idea of how you have to submit to God before you can really become the person you feel you want to be. This paradoxical idea of surrendering in order to become strong is in so much of Caroline's writing. Thanks for the feedback, Sue. You know, we just had lunch with Caroline and her brother in Tampa. She is indeed a gifted person. Wouldn't you say so, Raph? I most certainly would. Mm -hmm. She's an amazing lady. Carla wrote, Thanks for inviting Eva here to your show last week. Even though I have been a student for decades, I learned new things. Your shows are never, I love this, listen to this one, Mm Raph. Your shows are never filled with fluff. And I truly appreciate the knowledge that you share with the world. Well, thank you, Carla. We do, uh, like, run from the fluff around here. All right. Sandy wrote, thanks for all you do. I really enjoy your show. It's now my favorite. Wow, I like that one. How about you, Rev? I do. I love it, love it. Susan wrote, thanks, Eldon, for your contribution to healing and self-awareness. It's been so enlightening, and I learn every time I listen. Well, thank you, Susan. Now, Tan Poe wrote, I love your CDs and website. Thank you for providing such a powerful technology for change. It's just so simple to listen and then have major shifts occur. Well, thank you, Tampo. And I will use your email as a segue to remind our listening audience that we offer a number of free MP3 programs as a part of our own Pay It Forward program. All you have to do is go to eldentaylor.com to pick them up. These are the real deal. Uh, the patented and proven effective intertox subliminal technology, and we invite you to download them. Michelle wrote, love your radio show. Michelle, we are very glad you do, and thanks for the feedback. Okay, a new book review on mind programming came in from Christine today. She writes, Eldon Taylor helps us realize how our ideas are developed and why we believe what we believe. Then 
And I think most importantly, he gives us the tools to reprogram our beliefs. This is a must-read for anyone struggling with why they are having problems reaching goals. I continue to use the tools I I learned to this day, and I share them with others. I meet on my journey. I am glad I bought this book. Well, thank you, Christine, for all of you. I noticed the book is priced at Amazon for only $10.85, and it comes with a free serenity. What are you chuckling that about? That is a joke. I know. It's cool. And it, and it comes with a free serenity CD that we sell every day for $27.95. If you're looking for a valuable gift, all 100,000 words plus a CD that will keep on giving, this is the gift, and it's certainly priced right. I mean, what can I say? Go get it. <laughs> All right. And Lynn wrote, Dear Eldon, thank you, thank you, thank you for being who you are and doing what you do. I was guided to find you on Hay House Radio earlier this year, and it was in answer to a question of what else could I do to cope with an intense ongoing crisis, namely my mother's devastating critical illness that showed up suddenly and progressed rapidly and ruthlessly. I purchased four of your Intertalk CDs. <clears throat> Excuse me and played them daily while visiting my mom in the car and at home. Incredibly, the Intertalk music CDs were the only music my mom would willingly listen to, even though she had loved music her entire life. Any attempt I made to play other music would result in her asking me to turn it off, usually after only a few minutes, whereas I could play Intertalk throughout an entire visit of several hours. Her illness caused her to be intolerant of most any sensory stimulus, regardless of the modality. I chose Serenity, and here's the best part. After a couple of months of playing the Serenity CD every visit, the nurses started commenting to me how much calmer both of us were and how well I was now coping. By the way, they were unaware that I was using your special technology when they commented. I've been telling friends about this experience and encouraging them all to also use Intertalk. Thank you, Lynn, and our prayers are with you. All right, that's all the time for letters today, but I do invite you to opine by leaving comments on my website, emailing me at eldon at eldentaylor.com, and or by joining me on Facebook. I do read all of your letters, including those that don't make it to our show, and they do impact our programming, so once again, thank you. Now to today's show. The near-death experience, shared death experiences, and glimpses of eternity. According to the Skeptic's Dictionary, quote, The term near-death experience, or NDE, refers to a wide array of experiences reported by some people who have nearly died or who have thought they were going to die. There is no single shared experience reported by those who have had NDEs. Even the experiences of most interest to parapsychologists such as the mystical experience, the light at the end of the tunnel experience, the life review experience, and the out-of-body experience, or OBE, rarely occur together in near-death experiences. However, the term NDE is most often used to refer to an OBE occurring while near death. Both types of experience have been cited to support belief in disembodied spirits and continued existence after death. One of the early popularizers of the idea that the OBE is proof of life after death was the Swiss psychiatrist Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. 
She is well known for her work on death and dying, although she eventually claimed that death does not exist. Death, she thought, is one of several possible transitions through permeable boundaries. At one point in her career, it meant dabbling in spiritualism and inviting a medium to channel the dead to have sex with grieving widows. Despite her reputation as a scientist and a medical doctor, bringing in a guy to have sex with her clients is considered unprofessional in some circles, even if the guy wears a turban. When some of the widows developed vaginal infections after these sessions, it looked as if Kubler-Ross's reputation as an expert on scientific evidence for the afterlife was damaged for good. We can get provocative around here. What do you think of that, Rav? Definitely provocative. (laughs) Now, in fairness... The pioneering work of Kubler-Ross remains a mainstay in areas of hospice care and the bereavement process. Indeed, Rav, our son was just asking me about her since she is a part of his study material for the psychology course he's now taking. There's something else here as well. She wrote the foreword for one of our guest books, at least the first few editions, the edition I have at home. So I'll tread lightly for the moment there, okay? All right, fortunately for the NDE movement, there were other advocates who, by comparison, are paragons of virtue, integrity, and sanity. The skeptic continues, quote, Raymond Moody, MD, PhD, is considered by many to be the father of the modern NDE movement. He coined the expression near-death experience and has written several books on the subject of life after life. He is well known for his compilation of a list of features that he considers to be typical of the near-death experience. According to Dr. Moody, the typical NDE includes a buzzing or ringing noise, a sense of blissful peace, a feeling of floating out of one's body and observing it from above, moving through a tunnel into a bright light, meeting dead people such as saints, Jesus, angels, Muhammad, seeing one life uh, pass before one's eyes, and finding it all so wonderful that one doesn't want to return to one's body. Close quote. Dr. Moody's classic work, Life After Life, has sold over 20 million copies. It makes uh, the books that I've sold kind of seem like, you know, I mean, and that is the pocket change. You'll get there. You'll get there. It, it is a great read and a book I encountered originally back in the 70s. The book investigates more than 100 case studies of people who experienced clinical death and were subsequently revived. Now, we have two guests joining us today to discuss NDEs. Dr. Raymond Moody, of course, will be here, and we will chat about his new book, Glimpses of Eternity, sharing a loved one's passage from this life to the next. Also joining us... And actually returning to our show is my friend, Dr. John Turner. Dr. Turner's book, Medicine, Miracles, and Manifestations, has several compelling true accounts of unexplained phenomena that dramatically reveal an existence beyond the body or beyond death. For those of you who may not have joined us when Dr. Turner was here earlier, he is a neurosurgeon residing in Hilo, Hawaii. He has also uh, been very involved in creating what I guess I would call the cast list for an upcoming television series on Beyond Death, something I had a little bit of input on myself a few months ago. All right, two eminently well-qualified gentlemen to discuss life after death, OBEs, NDEs, and the all-new notion of sharing a loved one's passage from this life to the next. But before we get started, 
I want to let you know that we are unable to take your calls during this next hour. With two guests on the line, when we do take a call, we risk having phase cancellation and feedback difficulties that corrupt the quality of our broadcast. So although we technically have the capability, I've decided not to take the risk. I do apologize for that, and I'll be certain that our guests leave contact details today so you can reach out to them directly with your questions and comments at the end of the show. Okay. As they say in Hollywood, without further ado, let's welcome our guests one at a time to Provocative Enlightenment. So, welcome, Dr. Raymond Moody. Hello, how are you? Thank you so I'm much for having me sir. on your We're program. We're honored to have you join us. Oh, my goodness. I'm just delighted to do so. Thank you so much, Eldon. Oh, it's indeed my pleasure. All right. And now, welcome back to our show, Dr. John Turner. Hello, Eldon. It's nice to be talking with you again. You're like a brother to me and also Dr. Moody. It's so wonderful to, uh, again, hear you discuss these topics. Yes. Well, well thank you, Jack, for all your help. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. And I'm thrilled to have you both here. So let's let's begin, if we can, with you, Dr. Moody. In your newest book, Glimpses of Eternity, you describe a novel, in, in, indeed, an entirely new type of experience. And I would assume that is that, like the NDE, it will forever be known as pioneered by you as well. Hmm. And that experience is the shared death experience. I guess for me, I, I just refer to it now as the SDE. So please flesh this out some for us. What do you mean by a a shared death experience, and how does this possibly occur? Well, uh, Eldon, first of all, this is something that I have been studying actually since about 1972. Even before I wrote Life After Life, I heard my first shared death experience from one of my own uh, professors of medicine. And uh, when I wrote uh, Life After Life, I only had one case of it, so I didn't comment. But uh, in the intervening years, I've literally uh, found hundreds of these things. And I can uh, pretty much guarantee you that anybody who just probes around a little bit, even among their own friends and relatives, are going to be able to find cases of this. But basically, um, these shared death experiences consist of all the elements that we typically associate with near-death experiences, such as um, the feeling of leaving the body, uh, the passage into a light, um, the seeing a panoramic life review, sometimes beautiful music, and so on, except that they occur not to someone who almost dies and returns, but rather these these shared death experiences occur to the onlookers, that is, the bystanders at the bedside of a dying loved one. And um, I think the primary significance of these things is that they really totally demolish, I think, the epiphenomenalist point of view or the neurophysiological point of view that near-death experiences are a secondary byproduct of the primary event, which would they they would interpret to be um, the uh, biochemical disturbance right. and electrical disturbance is brought about in the brain by diminished oxygen flow to the brain, and um, so I really, in terms of what this means, I don't know. If you have an answer, let me know. But I do know know <laughs> this 
we are on to something here that uh, I think will really totally change the way we debate and reason about this uh, enormous question of uh, life after death. Because um, basically, since we now know that bystanders often have the same experience that is related to us by people who almost die in return, and yet the bystanders are not ill or injured, there's nothing wrong with the oxygen flow to their brain, and yet they have the identical experience, what we need to do now is to move out to try to find some new way of putting this together for ourselves. Have you, Dr. Moody, been able to verify with with some degree of certainty the fact that the shared, the person sharing the experience is not somehow collaborating with a person having the experience and the two of them are feeding upon one another to describe the same event. I mean, have you been able to, say, isolate someone who actually had this experience that was completely removed from the individual who had the NDE and and been and there been able to uh, verify that the two stories independently were similar, substantially similar, or the same? Well, uh, no, Elvin, because uh, the great majority of the cases that I have been involved with of these shared death experiences, by by definition, are cases in which one person actually does die and hence is unavailable for for follow-up, so to speak. Right. But um, basically, uh, I began hearing these, as I said, back in the 70s. And uh, throughout the late 70s into the early 80s, I heard them almost exclusively from medical doctors and other medical personnel who, was, who were there at the uh, bedside when a patient died. And, and the usual kind of story was that uh, the most common thing seemed to be that uh, doctors would tell me that um, when a patient would die, they would see what seemed to be a transparent replica of the person or sometimes described as a roundish uh, golden or grayish golden light, which nonetheless had a complex inner structure in some way that they find difficult to describe, that at the point of death, this would rise up above the body of the person who had died and, and sort of exit typically through the ceiling or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. But um, what happened as the 80s wore on and then into the 90s, I began to hear uh, these, uh, just really a tidal wave of these experiences, but mostly at that point from um, onlookers, as I said, or, or loved ones uh, who were at the bedside of a dying loved one. And what I surmise happened, Elvin, is that uh, for those of you who can remember back to 1972 when I entered <laughs> medical school, um, at that time, the standard hospital practice was when the patient was dying, the doctors and nurses would come and uh, escort the family out on the kindly but but nonetheless kind of uh, patronizing theory that um, that the family couldn't bear it and they would be overwhelmed so the doctors and nurses would be there for the terminal events. But mm-hmm. in those intervening decades, 
um, the the hospital practice has turned almost entirely around now, where the common practice is in, to encourage the family members to be there to the end. And so, concomitantly with that, we've seen a shift of these shared death experiences, where I now hear them mostly from um, loved ones who were there when when a loved one died. Most remarkably to me, Elvin, um, I have. Uh, enough cases that I know that anybody else who uh, sincerely investigates this is going to be able to find the same kind of cases. Cases in which the person attending the dying actually uh, empathically co-lived the life review of the person who was passing away. And, And I think we are getting into, with these things, we're getting into an area that is is just very difficult i think to um to put away and and some sort of uh pseudo skeptical as i call it um um mode of thought you know when you were reading that uh quotation from the so-called skeptics dictionary or whatever right. i was thinking it just confirmed my my the, the opinion i've stated many times is that these so-called skeptics are, number one, nothing of the kind. I mean, it. I, I have, you know, before I went to medical school, I got a Ph.D. in philosophy, and uh, ancient Greek philosophy was my favorite period. And um, I'm not going to do this anymore, obviously, because now the cat's out of the bag. But for uh, decades now, uh, when these people would come up to me and say, oh, I'm a skeptic about these near-death experiences, I think that they are the chemistry of the brain or whatever. Um, when you I would, would flash back to the Greek philosophy. Well, who the inventors of the skeptical, the, the uh, sure. inventor of the skeptical philosophy was the uh, ancient Greek philosophy uh, philosopher Pyrrho, who came in the wake of Aristotle. And uh, I'm going to have you hold that one. I love Greek philosophy, but we have about 30 seconds before a hard break, Dr. Moody. When we come back from the break, however, I'm going to ask you about uh, your notion that uh, it's good for mankind to have a hearty dose of the unexplained, and then we're going to get Dr. Turner in. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment. We're discussing Dr. Raymond Moody's new book, something you will uh, come to know, I'm sure, is SDEs. Uh, We'll be back uh, after these words from our friends. Be sure to stay tuned, and thank you for listening. Confusion, deception, manipulation, feeling a bit controlled, lost. Learn how you can take back control of your life through proven techniques in Eldon Taylor's revised edition of Choices and Illusions. This New York Times bestseller is a guidebook to your journey to self-actualization filled with practical, real-life solutions backed by scientific studies and guaranteed to awaken your inner genie. Get your copy today from all bookstores. Have you talked to yourself lately? What does that inner voice say? Are you constantly hearing negative feedback? Ready for a change? InnerTalk, Eldon Taylor's patented subliminal technology, can do just that. Change your inner self-talk. Turn off the negative by replacing it with positive affirmations. InnerTalk has been researched at universities such as Stanford and by governments around the world and has been proven effective at priming your self-talk. Armed with a new positive outlook, you'll find everything becomes easier. From losing weight to stop smoking, giving presentations to riding horses, 
Learn new things to being a powerful salesperson. Choose your title for change today. Visit www.innertalk.com. That's I-N-N-E-R-T-A-L-K.com. Innertalk.com. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Welcome back. If you just joined us, we're discussing a great book, Glimpses of Eternity, by uh, by a man who uh, has sold some 20 million copies of his uh, prior book, Life, uh, Life Beyond Life. Or, yeah. And I suspect he'll sell that many uh, more of Glimpses of Eternity. Uh, Dr. Raymond Moody. Also joining us today is Dr. John L. Turner. All right. Um, Also, those of you collecting the free MP3s, while you're at the website, uh, be sure to sign up for the free newsletter uh, at eldentaylor.com. Okay, let's get back to the show. Before we went to the break, uh, Dr. Moody was explaining, I think, you know, Greek skepticism, and so I can advance this quickly. I think the point you were going to make, Dr. Moody, was that According to Greek philosophy, there are really two possible lines of skepticism, academic and that based on Piro. I believe it's just known as Pironian. Yeah. And uh, for all intent and purposes, to be a skeptic, you have to be open-minded. And, yeah. uh, exactly. you know, the Stoics and the Epicureans uh, uh, advanced a lot of this. But in uh, in our modern age, we have... These folks out there writing books like The God Delusion, uh-huh. and they're, they're anything but open-minded. Yes, uh, and fact, don't even have, really have a clear concept of what skepticism no, we have, is. We, I think that's, that's right. We, <laughs> we had a guest on our show uh, not long ago who was in a debate in the BBC with Richard Docking, and uh, when he asked Docking about... Uh, uh, some of the new data, docking essentially dismissed it by saying this. Um, no, I haven't seen it, uh, but it wouldn't make any difference if I did. I don't look at those kinds of things. <laughs> so if you call that a skeptic, well, you don't really know what the definition exactly. of the word is. Exactly. Yeah, I concur. So I indicated before we went to the break, uh, you state in your book, it is good for mankind to have a hearty dose of the unexplained. Why do you think that's so? Well, I'm talking personally there, Eldon, and that is because uh-huh. what I uh, what really got me uh, interested in rational inquiry in general was that I became a devoted amateur astronomer at the age of seven or eight. And uh-huh. uh, what really intrigued me from the very beginning was the vast incomprehensibility of the universe. In other words, the the, the question that you ask most intuitively, namely, how big is it and what shape is it, that mm-hmm. if it's literally unintelligible. So to me, it's unintelligibility or that which we cannot explain and cannot um, comprehend is to me just very personally exciting. And that's what keeps me interested in the things I study is that we are dealing with a dimension of human experience that is, number one, extremely important. I mean, I think the the most important question of existence is whether there is a life after death. And yet, 
On the other hand, they are somehow incomprehensible. Like our mind, try as it will, just can't quite come up with an explanation. And uh, to me, that has always been the primary driver, as it were, which uh, which um, moves um, science or all, all the other fields of inquiry forward. Right. You remind me, your answer reminds me so very much of uh, the Pensies by Blaise Pascal, he essentially describes the same experience. Dr. Turner, you have been doing a number of these interviews with Dr. Moody, and you have your own healthy list of the unexplained. Do you agree with Dr. Moody it's good to have the unexplained, or are you teased to attempt an explanation? Well, hi, Eldon. I think we're all here to try to learn our lessons that we came here to learn, and I think this what we think may be the unexplained is just part of the path that we're going to follow. And I find it extraordinary that so many people, like you mentioned Dawkins and so forth, so many people want to be skeptics and they want to dismiss all of this. And, you know, it, it brings to mind a thought of my friend Bill Sweet, our friend, who wrote The Journey uh-huh. to Prayer. And he made a comment in that book, and he and I have discussed this over the last year or so, that when, you know, the truth starts to come out, there's some type of force or something that tries to spring up to prevent this happening. And when he first mentioned that, I thought, well, you know, this is kind of like a belief in heaven and hell and the devil and angels and all that. But now now that as things progress, I'm beginning to wonder if this could not be the case, that, you know, you'd see, it would seem like anyone who's alive and breathing would want to know what happens uh, when they stop and move on to the next level or if there is a next level and who can just not be interested or dismiss it, it, it just beats me, Elgin. I have no answer for that. But I see it happening. For example, my website is now down where people could learn more about this, and I hope Dr. Moody is doing okay. But I, I think there's something that tries to intervene to stop spreading the good word, and this good word is that there is persistence of consciousness. And in Dr. Moody's book, Glimpses of Eternity, well, I think anyone who reads that is, has to say, look, this is not a a dying brain thing that's happening. There's something very important going on, and we should all be interested in this. I, I totally agree with that. It was Rupert Sheldrake, by the way, and I know you know who Rupert is, both of you, uh, that debated docking, and uh, and he had some very robust new data from uh, some of his own research and research of others with uh, random number generators, and it's just, you know, skeptic, no, it's flatly dismissed. Uh, they have a... Uh, a new religion, and I guess, you know, we call it scientism, so I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. <clears throat> Dr. Moody, you refer to the brain as the three-pound planet, distinguishing <laughs> it from the typical notion of a three-pound universe. Flesh that idea out for us, and why the differentiation? Well, just because I tend to be um, uh, fascinated with one thing, Elvin, and have been since I was a child, and pursued this all the way through my um, my psychiatry career, is that it is just fascinating to me that every single human being you meet is a whole separate world or universe. And that, to me, is just astonishing. And I think it's, uh, the, the older, the more you get, get into this in psychiatry, the older you become as with the um, education and psychiatry behind you, um, uh, 
the more you see this, it's to me that's just absolutely amazing. That just walking out on the street and every person you look at is a whole world in there, and so um, that's kind of the point of that metaphor. It, and and I love that metaphor, and that's why I wanted you to share it. It is it is absolutely true. The the story of every individual is is a universe unto itself. So I guess a planet is much more befitting than a universe. I love the metaphor anyway. Some of the experiences you write about, Dr. Moody, involve telepathy. Describe one of these events involving an SDE, if you would, please. Well, the one that comes to my uh, mind immediately is is, um, one of our own personal physicians. Um, Wanda is her name. I won't give her last name, but Wanda is a good friend of ours in addition to being my wife's physician. And um, Wanda is, first of all, just totally worldly. I mean, this is, and she's an emergency room doctor after all, mm-hmm. and is, is her training, and the Army on top of it. And so Wanda is just one of these totally unflappable, um, down-to-earth people. And um, case that immediately springs to my mind is she said a couple of times um, when she was resuscitating patients, uh, she said that she very plainly heard the voice of the patient talking with her, not in, as a as an auditory experience in the classical sense. And she, she realized even when this was going on that it wasn't coming through the larynx of the patient, but rather she nonetheless, one of the patients she knew very well as the person, the other patient she described this with was a um, uh, patient she had not even met before, was was resuscitating the patient. Mm-hmm. And, but in both cases, she she very uh, distinctly heard the, uh, the patient tell her, uh, but you know, to stop this, I'm I'm doing fine. And incidentally, uh, she she didn't take their their request, <laughs> and uh, which they they later were were happy about that. But um, um, that that seems to be a fairly common aspect of this that uh, people there who are who are there with the dying as they pass away. We'll talk about this communication that doesn't take place through the voice box, but rather that they become immediately aware of it on an internal level. And I used yeah. to hear this all the time and, um, uh, you know, could only go on my own imaginings of what that might be like. But, but then when my mother died in 1994, I directly experienced that myself. I, I, I heard my mom talking to me, but it plainly wasn't transmitted through her voice box, but but it was nonetheless her. And, and I'm sure that, uh, you know, the people listening to us, I'm sure that there are quite a number of people um, who, who are aware directly from their own experience what I'm talking about. Right. I, I had a very dear personal friend pass and he sang a song. 
Dr. Turner, I know about one event you share in your book, Medicine, Miracles, and Manifestations. Great read, by the way. Plug it again for you. That also involves a form of telepathy, uh, perhaps even, you know, more. But I'm speaking of the story about the young man who retold his story on film with you. I think you flew him down to California recently to do that. Share that story with us, will you please? Well, yes. This was a young man who... Unfortunately, was involved in an event where a high-caliber bullet was uh, put into the brain, and it was thought to be a suicide attempt. There's a little uh, discussion about that now, if that's what really happened. But at any rate, uh, he came to the hospital in a condition where everyone thought that he was an extremist and nothing could be done. In fact, uh, I wasn't even called about this case. They told the mother they should donate his organs, and there was nothing that could be done. Just by an interesting thing, uh, he had told his girlfriend some time ago that he never wanted to be an organ donor. And he said the reason is that he had this premonition many times, this kind of a dreamlike scenario in which he may be taken to a hospital, uh, declared dead, but he would still be alive. And while he was alive, they would remove his organs. And because of that, the mother said, well, I, I just can't consent for that. So they took him off the respirator, and they were waiting for him to, uh, you know, take his last agonal breath when the mother uh, asked for me to be called. And the interesting thing about this case, to make a a long story short, I know we're we're short on time here, but here's the thing. This premonition was one thing. The second thing was, as I drove into the hospital parking lot that day, this young man later was able to tell me that he was out of his body, literally at the window watching me, approached the hospital, hoping I would come to help him. And these things can't be by accident. He describes it very clearly. And it turns out that when I did get to see him, although he was almost completely paralyzed, he had a little motion in his fingers that I could communicate things to him. And he said that he did want to live. So he went through the surgery very well. He did extremely well. As a matter of fact, he was up singing to the nurses within a couple of weeks and telling them how appreciative he was. But when we talk about any communication with me, I think it may be the case of the young man who was brain dead, literally, by what we call someone who was brain dead, who was able to somehow appear in a dream to me, Alden. This was the first metaphysical experience I had in 1981 coming to Hawaii. And that dream contact uh, was that, you know, I, I was making rounds on the young man, and he suddenly triggered the respirator or took a breath, and then a tear came down his eye, from his eye. And when I called, woke up, that woke me up, I called the hospital, and they said, well, I'm sorry, doctor, there's been no change. I was really disappointed, Eldon and Raymond. I thought that was some type of contact showing he was going to make it. When I did get to the hospital to make rounds with the nurse after telling her the story, as we watched the boy, that actually happened. He triggered the respirator, and a tear rolled down his cheek. Well, it turned out he never took another breath, and I waited two or three more days to be sure, but he never did. And then the family agreed to disconnect the respirator. And the important thing about this, he was an Hawaiian boy. And the Hawaiian belief I learned from Robert Moss, being on his radio show, is that the soul leaves through the tear duct. And when they heard the story of the dream, and then when it was verified, when I actually saw that tear, they realized that this boy had left, and there was no use in prolonging the respirator and keeping keeping him from moving on. So that 
that kind of contact, I thought, was telepathic in a way through dreams. And, of course, as you know, Eldon, much has happened since then. But I believe that's the story you're talking about. So so he shared uh, actually with you that it was all right to pass. That's what you're saying, right? The stepfather flew in from California to speak to me after the machine was disconnected and right. everything was done and over. And he said he came to let me know what that dream meant. He said it didn't mean to him as a Hawaiian that the boy was going to recover. It meant that this was his attempt to contact me, to let me know that he wants to move on. And as long as right. I had the machine going, he couldn't really move on. Right. But but now back to the first story. Let me see if I got that one right, because my understanding, or as I recall from reading your book, uh, this boy was, uh, for all intent and purposes, considered to be brain dead. The, the the boy who was shot point blank range, okay, but then he appeared to you in the parking lot, even though he was laying in the bed upstairs. No, what what I meant by that was he he see here's the thing he made a remarkable recovery, and then uh, ten years from the date of surgery, he he found me. He came up, made a long walk up my long driveway to find me and thank me for saving his life. And then we talked more after that. I went to his wedding and saw the birth of his little girl, and, and he was able to tell me a lot of these things that happened. And one was that it wasn't that he appeared to me in the parking lot. It was that I appeared to him in the parking lot. He oh, okay. explains that he was out of his body. He could see his body in the bed with the still intubated, his head all wrapped in these paper wraps, his girlfriend at the bedside crying, but he was actually standing at the window watching me park my car. And then he transmitted this hopeful thought that maybe I could save him because he knew me. I had seen him twice before for a back problem and a small head injury. That's what happened. Okay, that's that's what I wanted to get out of there. All right. All right. Great book. Great read. Medicine, Miracles, and Manifestations. Dr. Moody. What is the most important thing that you would want your readers to take away from your new book? I think this, uh, Eldon, and that is that um, death is not to be feared. This is what I have heard from thousands of people who have uh, been to the brink of death and returned, and and also uh, from hundreds of people who've had these shared death experiences, that uh, it seems that death is not the obliteration of uh, consciousness, but rather the passage of consciousness into some other state of existence. And I think that we are getting closer to being able to... Hello? Uh, I've got you, Dr. Turner, but it looks, I think we've just lost Dr. Moody. Uh, the con- we're we're getting Dr. Moody back. Uh, it'll be just a minute. If you'll uh, be patient with us, uh, we'll have him back here. And he probably doesn't realize he uh, maybe unplugged his phone or he bumped it to some strange way or something. Well, but um, yeah, I'm telling we'll you, if we can't. There may be these forces that want to prevent it, as strange as it is. You, you know, I, I, that was my next question <laughs> for, for well, Dr. Moody. Think at it this way, Alden. You know, I was looking at my cat the other day, and when you look at any kind of animal, they're not running around here fearing death or worrying about it. You know, they're doing what they're supposed to do. And can you imagine us as humans being afraid of something that we can't 
you know, avoid, it's really ridiculous. And and I think, to go further, I, I've decided, Eldon, there's no such thing as death. I don't think there's anything such as an afterlife. I think, like Dr. Moody was about to explain, it's a matter of, like, changing trains, going to the next level. And it's always going to happen to us, and I think it goes on forever and ever. At least, you know. Just a different vibration. Are you back with us, Dr. Moody? Yes, I am. I don't know what happened there. (laughs) Well, you know, I don't either. Jack, uh, or I'm Dr. Turner, uh, indicated that perhaps it was the uh, evil forces of the world (laughs) attempting to cut us off. You want to comment on that one? Well, you know, I'm sure... Jack is, uh, of course, you know, I know his sense of humor, and I would I would uh, tentatively agree with him, but, but at the same time, they're awful busy with some other tasks right now <laughs> in the world, so uh, I don't know that they would have time to interfere with our circuitry, because they're so tied up in uh, the terrorists and uh, everything else now. I mean, this looks like to me that we're in, to, in for some pretty... Uh, interesting times over the next few years scary times i don't disagree with that it's a it's a time that we uh, we need to be as centered as balanced and as grounded uh, with as large a perspective about what life is really about yeah. uh as, as ever you you were interrupted uh, you were making that final point about the most important thing about your book and you got to the point where you know we shouldn't fear death death is a transition can you pick it up from there yes and uh, also that uh whatever they were chasing before after people have an experience like this they come back realizing that the most important thing we can do while we're alive here is to learn how to love. That's what universally people uh, say when they come back from these things. Learn how to love. I have a question that could be our provocative one for the day, one that we have taken up here. But you're going to have to almost just give me, you know, the. you can't give me the long Greek philosophy. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. Um, and it's precipitated by something Dr. Turner said, but uh, do you believe there is evil in the world? Is there evil in the sense that there is a competing force against good? I'm not sure, Eldon. I, I just don't know. I mean, um, you know, I was a forensic psychiatrist for a while, working in a maximum security unit for the criminally insane. And my daily work was to talk with paranoid schizophrenic killers who had done these gosh-awful things like you read about on the in the National Enquirer or whatever. Right. But, you know, it was really interesting, Eldon, really once you got to know these people you realize they were just sick. I mean, it was, it, it's like if you assume their delusions were true, then their actions made a certain amount of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, the ones that I never could find anything inside uh, in were the, the serial killers who are usually sociopaths. Mm-hmm. And a sociopath apparently has no conscience. Right. And... Um, so with them, it's really very hard to tell because the sociopath, instead of just answering your question, they will try to figure out what you want to hear and Absolutely. feed it back to you. So I don't know about the problem of evil. But I, I do that. think that Goethe had the right opinion about how to reconcile the, 
the notion of potential evil with the existence of an to... all-loving God. <laughs> I'm going to have to cut you off. We, we're going to have to bring you back. That's all there is to it. Uh, there are links on my website, uh, um, the radio chat, to both Dr. Moody and Dr. Turner. You can find their books uh, at Amazon.com. I am thrilled that you were both with us today. I assume or hope that you'll both join us again um, sometime in the near future. All right. Well, we've come to the end of another hour of provocative enlightenment. I want to thank you all for joining us, and I hope you enjoyed our show, and will join us again next week, same time and same place. And if you like our show, do let us all know. Okay, until next time, wherever you are in the world, remember, believing in yourself always matters.